uh, when I look, as I mentioned earlier, knowing that this is our final Sunday in October and just looking at how God has worked things together in his own way, 2019 for me has been a year of, of wonderful blessings and it's also been a year of loss and pain and um, it's caused me to just drive deeper to God. I'm not one of those people who always thinks the next year would be better than this year. God is faithful in every year. God has been so good this year. How dare I look forward to the year that I don't have yet? I have today. Jesus instructed us, look, don't take any thought for tomorrow, saying what you will eat, what you will drink, and how you will be clothed. Those are the things that the pagans seek after. That's what the world seeks after. He said, but seek you first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all of those things, your needs, they'll be added to you. Don't worry about those things. So I'm trusting that God will continue to provide and be as faithful throughout the course of this year and next year if I make it as he's been this year. So we're just excited um, about his faithfulness and his steadfastness and how he has protected and guided us all together in, in him this far. So we are still in the book of Ephesians. We are just matriculating on down through the text and I'm just excited to preach one more Sunday through this book. One of the things that I pray that you all have seen so far in this book is that Paul is pretty emphatic about how we live, why we live, and to whom our lives are due. He has explained for us, if you remember, our reasons for hope. Remember, we talked about not only our reasons for hope, but he has also shown us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we all alike were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. But it is because of the grace of God that he has brought us up into new life. And because we died a death with him, we are dead to our sins. We have been risen in Christ Jesus to new life. With all that being said, one of the common disappointments for me in what names itself Christianity is the constant bickering among people who all profess to believe the same thing. Now, let me be clear. Those of us who stand for the truth, who know the truth, who know what scripture is, we should absolutely stand for that truth. We should absolutely live in that truth and speak out against anything that calls itself Christianity that is actually a falsehood. In doing that, it will absolutely put us at odds with people who may call themselves Christians, but are actually counterfeits and not actually practicing Christians. Now, that isn't to say that we won't have disagreements with one another as Christians, but those disagreements should never be over the essential truths of the Bible. And we can have some disagreements on the non-essentials, but there are certain essentials that we cannot disagree on. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was the perpetuation of our sins. There is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can't disagree on those things. We can't disagree on eternal security. God has told us that we are sealed into the day of Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit. But there are some non-essentials that we may disagree on. Look, we may have disagreements on 
how those theologies may look in our specific church, but we should all hold to one truth, and that truth is that everything the Bible has said and declares is inerrant. It is without error. Scripture, all scripture is breathed out of the mouth of God and is profitable for reproof and correction. We should all agree that everything that the Bible says is in fact true. And there's nothing that you or I can do to disagree with what it is stated. As Christians, however, the world is already trying to destroy us. And if anything, we should be united with one another who are teaching the truth. So that the world, because of that truth, may be saved through the gospel. That is one of the beautiful things about our passage today in the book of Ephesians. And I'd ask if you would go there with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles... In the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. Let's thank God for the reading of the word. Now, if the goal of this sermon is to see how division is destroyed in the church, then we must dissect every line and word and precept and pause that Paul says division will be destroyed in the church. I think the first thing we should actually see comes from the first two words in this scripture. He says, therefore, remember. Paul finished verse 10 by saying, we are the workmanship, workmanship of God called into good works and we should walk in them. And then he says in verse 11, therefore, or for this reason, remember. If you are the workmanship of Christ, which you are, if you are called to good works, which you are, therefore, remember. And that brings us to very quickly our first point today. Our first point today in destroying division in the church is a call to remember. It's a call to remember. 
Paul tells us here that in order for us to fulfill those works, God has called us to and for us to destroy division in the church. We must remember. But what is he calling us to remember? Paul in this letter is writing to a primarily Gentile audience as many of these who would have been in Roman society were converted to Christianity. He tells them lest they forget about their own conversion. See, the Jews refer to them as the uncircumcision, talking about the Gentiles. They were those who were outside of God's covenant with Israel. They were outside of God's covenant people. And see, the great struggle between the Gentiles and Jews had long lasted, but it was in fact Christ who tore down the wall of separation that stood in between the Gentiles and God's covenant people. It was Christ who did that. There was enmity between these group of people, but Christ destroyed the wall and has now made us all his chosen people. Now, there is a specific encounter that happens in Matthew and Mark where Jesus illuminates this division that existed. And in one fell swoop, he wipes that division away. Look with me in Mark chapter seven, verse 26. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, this being Jesus, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon had gone. Now, I understand that you may be wondering if you have heard this text before, why I'm I'm using this text specifically to talk about the division of the Jews and the Gentiles. But it could be that if you've heard this text before, you may have been given the wrong context or maybe you missed the context. See, let me let me explain to you what's happening here. This woman, this Syrophoenician woman, is a Gentile by birth. And she comes to Jesus and she asks Jesus, she begs Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus says that the children need to be fed first because it is wrong to take what belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. Now, I don't know about you, but I have heard people take this text, beat it up, bash it, twist it, abuse it, misuse it, do all of that. They just absolutely get this text wrong. So let me explain what this text is talking about. When Jesus says you can't take the children's food, the children's bread and give it to the dogs, he is making two references here. First of all, when he says the children, he is making a reference to the children of Israel. He's making the he's making a reference to the covenant people. How do we know that? Because when Jesus calls his first disciples, he says, I'm calling you to go to the lost sheep of Israel first. So when he says these are this is the children's bread, he's referring to the children of Israel. When he says we can't take the children's bread and give it to dogs, that is absolutely a reference to the Gentiles. Because just in case you don't realize this, how did the Jews refer to the Samaritans and other Gentiles? They called them dogs. And so Jesus in this moment 
is, is aware, well aware of the division that is there between these people. Remember when Jesus is at the well, he's there on purpose in the middle of the day to find that woman who was a Samaritan. When he comes to her, he speaks to her and she says, you people don't have anything to do with my people. There was this massive gulf, this wall that existed in between the Jews and the Gentiles. They did not fellowship with one another. They had nothing to do with one another. And so when Jesus tells this woman that I can't give to you what is due for the children because you're a dog, she responds with one of the greatest phrases in the Bible. Yes, but even the dogs are able to gather the crumbs from the children. What a sign of faith this woman had. And when she spoke that, he immediately cast the devil that was out, that was inside of her daughter. He cast that demon out. Paul says, remember what your state was before you were called to Christ. See, just in case you don't realize, unless there's anybody that is Orthodox Jew in here, which I don't believe there is, I could be wrong. We were all Gentiles. We were all alienated. We were all cut off. We were the dogs that they were referring to in that text. We were not born in the covenant, but we have been brought into the covenant by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ destroyed the divided wall that was there so that when his death occurred, the veil was rent from top to bottom, illustrating to us that we all can now come in into fellowship with Christ. Where there was a veil, where there was a wall, Christ himself destroyed that wall. See, the covenant belonged to Israel, and we were all standing outside of that covenant. We were all standing outside of the temple, begging to be let in. And then Jesus came. Now, you remember last week when we talked about being dead in our sins? And one of the things that I said is that anytime we are dead to our sins, we must remember that we were dead in our sins. See, the same thing must occur here now is that we must remember that we at one time were all cut off from Christ. And it should bring great humility to us, one, to declare the gospel to anybody else who may be cut off. But it should always remind us that if we get too high on our horse, we were all cut off from him. So when we encounter Christians or people who vote differently or people who think differently or people who have a slight different doctrine or theology than we do, that still is grounded and rooted in the truth. One thing we should remember is that we are all one in Christ Jesus now. And what divided us no longer separates us, but we are a family. See, a forgetful Christian will always become a self-righteous Christian. And just in case you don't realize, self-righteous Christians don't actually exist. How do we know that? Jesus said, I didn't come for the people who were 
well, who didn't need a physician. I came to those who were sick because the self-righteous think that they've attained the righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. It is only us who remember that we were cut off that know that our only opportunity for righteousness came when Jesus Christ himself imputed righteousness on us. Y'all may not realize some people are celebrating Halloween, but October 31st also symbolizes a much bigger day. It symbolizes the Reformation. And just in case you don't understand what the Reformation is, short version, Martin Luther takes these 95 theses and he nails them on the doors of the Catholic churches because they had been abusing the truth. They had been teaching that righteousness came from good works. They had been teaching that you can buy and sell your way out of hell and out of purgatory. And then he said, no, justification does not come by works. It comes by faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone. See, that's why we celebrate October 31st is because when we look at scripture, it absolutely screams at us that there was nothing we could do apart from him to be right. See, when we have this humility, when we think about our former lives and think about how far away from God, it brings shame in our hearts. It should bring shame in our hearts. I know it does for me. That I look back at times and think, God, that's what I was. That's who I was. And that the only opportunity I have to never be that again is because of his righteousness that has been imputed to me. See, we forget sometimes that we were all enemies of Christ. While Christ was hanging on the cross... We were spitting on him. We were crucifying him. We were denouncing him and denying him while we were yet sinners. But Christ still died for us anyway. And there is one requirement for us to be a Christian is that we first must have been a sinner. That's what we forget at times. And so he has brought us all into one family by the blood of Jesus Christ, which means we have carnal blood, but the blood of Jesus runs fresh through all of us. And so if I look at you and you go to a different church or of a different denomination, if it's not heresy, then you are my brother. You are my sister in Christ. I don't care how you vote. I don't care what you think. If you declare that this Bible is true and inerrant, hey, brother, hey, sister. Because we should have more in common with those who believe this Bible than anybody else who may look like us, vote like us, act like us and talk like us. It is the Christian faith that binds us together. And so if I have a brother or sister who is in fact a Christian, then I must remember that the same blood that brought me in is the same blood that brought them in. Now it is interesting that Paul is writing here about divisions because if anybody knows anything about Paul is that Paul had two major divisions. In the Bible that we can read about, probably more. But there are two that I want to look at today so that we can see how Paul was even divided. But even through the grace and sovereignty of God, he was able to overcome these divisions. The first one that we'll see, which is actually the second of the two, but the first one we'll look at is in Acts 15 and 36. 
And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with him the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone back with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, let's look at the first division that Paul had, and it's in Galatians 2.11. And Paul is giving us a brief autobiography of himself, and he's actually the one telling of this division. But when Cephas, Cephas is Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here we have two circumstances by which Paul has had major disagreements, but these aren't just regular disagreements. These are major disagreements with other faithful Christians in the church. And this is important to us, to our understanding of unity in Christ. Paul and Barnabas are the two that we see in both of these texts, with this Acts text being second of the two. When Paul opposed Peter, that means that he confronted him. See, what had happened is that Paul had been preaching and had been entrusted with the gospel, that you did not have to become culturally and ethnically Jewish in order to be into the covenant of Christ. Because we have been circumcised in our hearts and not in our flesh. And that covenant was only made to the Jews. Now, Peter believed this and he knew it was true. But there were some people who were preaching. They're called the Judaizers. That no, you need to be circumcised in order to be a real Christian. And when those people came down with some of the people with James, who is Jesus' brother, Peter withdrew himself. Because he was ashamed to be seen, seen with them. But what does Paul do? Paul doesn't do what we tell you in 2019. Oh, just it's all right. Paul said, I oppose him to his face. But not only that, I oppose him to his face in front of them all. Because he still he still condemned because his behavior was leading other people astray. See, if there are faithful Christians in our lives, it does not do them any justice if we withhold telling them the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the Bible tells us. And so it, also, it tells us that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, Barnabas is one of the first people Paul comes to when he has his revelation in Galatians. He says he took the revelation that he had received and he carried it to Barnabas. 
And when he carried it to Barnabas, Barnabas starts off as the leader between the two. But very quickly, Paul replaces Barnabas because of the wealth of knowledge that God had given him. Now, in the Acts text, we see that they have a sharp disagreement. Let me explain why they have this disagreement. Barnabas wanted to take with them John Mark. Paul said, no, John Mark cannot be trusted. Last time we had him with us in Pamphylia, I don't know where he went, but he left. He did not finish the work that we had. I want to take Silas, or as his name is, his, his real name is Silvanus. He says, I want to take Silas with me. And so it says they have a sharp disagreement. So this isn't just, a, oh, we kind of want to go one way or the other. They end up having a sharp disagreement with one another. Now, when they have this sharp disagreement with one another, they go their separate ways. Paul wanted to take Silas and they left one another. Now, you may say, why is this significant? Well, because the tendency that we have when we have disagreements goes like this. We must disparage those with with whom we've had those disagreements. We'll have a disagreement with somebody and then the very next thing we do is we must mock and ridicule the fact that we had this disagreement. But that's not what happens. In fact, yes, they separated and yes, they disagreed. But let's look at our text here again. Let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And that brings us to point number two. We must see God as our peace. We must see God as our peace. Paul says that not only is God our peace, but he has made us both one in Christ. And he has done that by destroying down, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, again, he is making a reference to the partition wall that prevented Gentiles and Jews from associating with one another. But clearly he is referring to much more than just a literal wall. He is also referring to the social and religious and spiritual wall that existed between the two groups of people. Now. Let me ask you this. If Christ was able through the work he performed on the cross to bring these groups together who had nothing in common but him, how much more should he bring us who are Christians, who are born into one family, one faith, one Lord and one baptism? How much more should he bring us together? See, For us, what happens when a family disagrees is the same thing that happens when we disagree. We are family, all right? 
And yes, there are times when we have disagreements. There are times when we don't see things eye to eye. But when we have those disagreements, while it may change the way we interact with one another, it cannot change the relationship we have with one another. Because the reality is, I better be on good terms with you now because I got to see you for eternity. So I better reconcile what our differences are now. See, we always say blood is thicker than water, but this blood has given us a lineage that cannot be broken by any division, that cannot be destroyed by any disagreement. We are held together by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what happened after Paul's disagreements? Let me tell you. Paul had a disagreement with Peter, then had a disagreement with Barnabas, who was with him when he disagreed with Peter. Paul then takes Silas or Savanus with him, and then Timothy later joins him, joins him while Barnabas takes John Mark. When Peter writes his letters, remember, Peter had a disagreement with Paul. When Peter writes his letters, his epistles, it is actually Silas who carries the letters throughout the region. So Peter, had, Peter was using Silas to carry those letters throughout the region. But then even at the end of 2 Peter, he makes a reference to Paul. Now, I know you're thinking he probably led into him. He probably got him together, but he didn't. He called him his beloved brother. How could you call somebody your beloved brother who had embarrassed you in front of people you thought you should have respected? Because he knew his beloved brother loved him more than to let him stay in his hypocrisy. See, John Mark, whom Paul did not want to go with him because of his fickleness, will later tell Timothy, you need to take John Mark with you because he is an asset to the ministry. See, John Mark serves in those churches and then he works closely with Peter and ends up writing, do y'all know what book he wrote? He writes the book of Mark. Mark is Peter's account of the New Testament uh, happenings and the acts that they went through. So even though they had had a disagreement and there were layers and layers to this disagreement, one thing that we can see is that God has a way of bringing things full circle. And at the end of it, we will realize that when we are fickle, God is faithful. When we are disobedient, God is the one who holds us together. And that is why Paul can say that God can make the two into one. And that in the way he has done that for us is through the cross. Because of the cross, he has killed the hostility that existed between the Jews and Gentiles. Then he can kill any hostility that we may have towards one another. Because we are no longer strangers or aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Third and final point today. 
We are being built together. We are being built together. Let's look back at this scripture. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul reminds us here that the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation of the church, but it was built on the cornerstone. And that cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Now, Scripture tells us when they built in this time, the cornerstone was was responsible for holding the entire building together. It held it in place for us. God gave the prophets and the apostles for whom we have heard and read. And the foundation is held together by Jesus Christ. The whole of the building represents the totality of what the church is. And we have been built together with one another. That's why even as we may disagree, we are unified because the church is being built by us who are faithful Christians. That's why if we are at odds with one another. We do not benefit. It does not benefit me because if I destroy you. You may not be on the same wall that I'm on, but you are a brick in the building that I'm trying to hold together. And so if I say something disparaging about you and you are a brick that is holding the foundation together, then there's a chance the whole foundation could crumble. And so while your wall may not look like my wall and it may not be built like my wall is built, we are being built into one foundation held together by Jesus Christ. One building, building one temple. Jesus said that the church is built on one foundation, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that if the gates of hell try to do anything against it, there is nothing they can do to prevail. That is the foundation of our truth, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God for whom our whole faith is built. Knowing this, There is nothing that the gates of hell can do to destroy this building. We are the church of the living God. We are not just a collection of people who spend an hour together on Sundays, but the blood has united us and woven us together. And as I close, just just know this. We are too dependent on one another. To be divided. What unifies us is stronger than anything that can divide us. And more importantly, while you may be in error in your life now, you may be fickle now. That doesn't mean that the story on your life has been written. Listen, John Mark was a runner. 
until he matured and God made him necessary for the gospel. Listen, we all know Peter was fickle. Fickle, fickle, and more fickle. But God entrusted with him the preaching and leading of the New Testament church. It's the last thing I'll say. We must not be divided, but we must be united with one another. And saying that, don't tear anyone down who is a Christian that you cannot build up. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you now.